You're not the old end all shit. Who gives a fuck? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What end the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode of That's Deep, Bro. I'm very excited to announce some uh, 2018 stand updates. I'm back in the game again, y'all. Starting January 12th, 2018, in Pasadena, California, at the Ice House Comedy Club. February 2nd and 3rd in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, at Wise Guys. Wise Guys Comedy Club. February 23rd, one show only at the Calusa Casino in Calusa, California. And then March 30th and 31st, I'm back in Portland. Portland at the Helium Comedy Club. I love that uh, room. I'm very excited to go back there. So uh, the dates are on Christina P. Online. That's where you can get tickets to my upcoming shows. What else? I think that's it. You know, oh, check out my store on Christina P. Online, I've got all kinds of great t-shirts for the holidays. If you're a fan of this show or your mom's house even, check out uh, Tom Segura's website. He's got all the your mom's house stuff up, but I have some of it up on my store too, christinaponline.com. Uh, I don't know. Follow me on Instagram, the, the Christina P, and on Twitter at Christina P. Enough. Okay. Okay, let's start. Uh, I've got so many great emails that came in when I was in New York this last week. I'm really excited to uh, to get into it. So let's go. Oh, I like this song. Let's play this song.
song. The song is called LDN by Lily Allen. I love that song, especially it's such a summertime song, and I feel like everybody, everyone else is cold right now, so let's, I don't know, let's fucking make it happy. Uh, can you tell why I love that song? As a, as a philosophy uh, ex-major, philosophy major, I love that song because it's so um, happy, right? It's, the tune of it, that beautiful... Uh, the horns in the beginning and this whatever ska sounding. And then she's talking about a pimp and a crack whore. And uh, if you look with your eyes, if you look twice, you'll see it's all lies, which is really fucking pretty deep, right? Pretty fucking deep, bro. For a, a cute girl from, from, uh, from London. I don't know. I like it. Um, uh, it just got me thinking on city life. Cause I spent the last, holy oh boy, few days in New York city I I went to do uh, some press for uh, for Mother Inferior for Netflix, and I I had a dream come true this week. I had a major, um, I would say, career highlight. I I don't really, you know, I don't give a shit about celebrities. I'm not, um, I don't care. You know, I've seen I've seen them here growing up in L.A. and. On Chelsea lately, I met a lot of people. I fucking don't care. Like, you know what I mean? There's Cameron Diaz who gives a shit. Uh, but I'm a huge Howard Stern fan, and I got to do the Stern wrap-up show. And, I mean, I am i can't even... I won't even listen to it because I think I was, like, oh, so geeked out, man. I was so fucking excited. I'm embarrassed. Like, I'm embarrassed at how um, excited I was. But thankfully... They were so nice to me, Gary Delabate and um, John Hine and uh, Stephen Baldano and, and all the guys over there were so nice to me and they showed me around, excuse me, and um, oh, it was just like a dream come true. You know, I don't know, it kind of renewed my faith in, in life because, <laughs> you know, you just get to an age where like nothing's exciting. I just got, I was like, I don't care anymore and I hate not being excited about things because I feel like that's the death of of your humanity. I think that's when, you know, that's when you start wearing, uh, khakis and white new balance shoes and, um, and the brown braided belt. If you're a guy and if you're a woman, it's when you've surrendered to wearing, um, culottes and, um, Birkenstocks and, uh, you get the, the Kate haircut, which is really, you know, the long bangs and then the spiky in the back. It's kind of actually a Tony Hawk look. I should give him credit. It's like a modified, uh, Tony Hawk, but, um, you know, I like to find stuff to get excited about it. And lately I was like, man, I don't care. I don't care about anything. Like I was starting to get into gardening for a minute. I was like, I want to learn about plants and how that all works. And then, and then Howard Stern uh, wrap up show happened and it renewed my faith. And I got to meet my, my heroes that I have listened to since I was like, I've listened to that show since I was 14. And, um, so I, I, it really blew me away. Um, and it really made me think how, how exciting it's going to sound really corny, but, um, how exciting life can be when you, when you dare to dream, when you dare to, uh, when you dare to to take a leap of faith on stuff and and you let yourself think the impossible, right? You, I mean, I never, I never thought in a million years, like, oh, I'd get to go to New York City and um and fucking see where my favorite show in the whole world is created and get to talk to the people who make the show and and you know, I just never. If you would have told me fifteen years ago that that happened, I would be like, fuck you, get out of here. So, 
I just, uh, I don't know, man. It really renewed my faith in, uh, in everything. And I, I just, I don't know. If you're listening and you're like, what's the point? Why bother trying? Uh, who cares? Nothing happens. That's not always the case, my friends. That's not always the case, right? You got to fucking dream your dreams, dreamer, because you never know what's going to happen. Because really, we're living in a simulation to begin with. So why not dream big and why not control the variables of that uh, very real seeming simulation? If you don't believe me, there's a famous philosopher, my favorite, Jean Baudrillard. Um, he wrote a book called Simulacra and Simulation. I referenced it many times before on this podcast. I believe I did an episode on it a million years ago. Uh, before I had a child, before I had time to actually read entire books, <laughs> front to cover, cover to cover. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we're living in a, in, 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 especially in, in this era, a very manufactured reality where a sense of real truth simply does not exist, especially with the current president uh, in office. Now, I'm not a political comedian. I don't fucking, I'm not going to talk uh, politics with you guys. I think it's it's not for me. Someone else is doing it way better than I am and is way more informed than I am on that stuff. But uh, we're living in an era where shit is very malleable, where <laughs> where our sense of reality is extremely pliable and... Um, and I, I don't, uh, this is a very interesting time because with all the, the Trump, <clears throat> excuse me, stuff and, and claiming that the media is lying and the high, it is what Jean Baudrillard was talking about. Okay, so there's this book, Simulacra and Simulation, and he talks about how we, as human beings, identify the world in a series of symbols, right? In society, symbolism um, is how we communicate through language and uh, there's a time in human existence where symbols and signs meant something right you knew the direct reference now I love the example of uh, punk rock music I was staying uh, in the Bowery in New York this last week and the Bowery was home to a club called CBGB's where uh my fa- all my favorite punk bands played right like the Ramones and um, you know what is it television and all these these cool dude punkers and uh, I grew up listening to uh, punk rock and to you know like early goth post punk whatever and um, and what was great about it because punk in in and of itself was an overly commodified movement I think it ended just as it began because it was essentially commodified by Malcolm McLaren and I believe Vivian Westwood even who uh, saw what the kids were wearing. They walked around with holes in their clothes and safety pins and immediately somebody thought, Oh, let's put this in a store and let's sell this in a storefront. And then, you know, it became a fashion thing. But the thing is the fashion thing had a reference. It was rooted in an actual cultural working class movement, um, a group of, of, of youth, the young, right? It's always the young people who, who felt that they didn't have a a say in the economy. They had no jobs. Everybody was fucking poor. Was it Thatcher they hated at the time? Yeah. Uh, in the eighties. Right. And so, uh, it was a rebellion. It was, it had meaning. It was some kind of a social cultural thing. Well, flash forward to the nineties, by the time I get my hands on punk rock and even that's morphed into some kind of, not original thing, right? By the time I get around to it now, um, there are thrift stores that you go buy stuff at and, um, you could get, you could get the, the clothing at specific places and, and, you know, 
well, the music had changed. Now, by the time the next generation gets their hands on goth or punk, it's in the malls and it's at a store called Hot Topic, right? And now you've got uh, kids who would buy, for instance, let's say a Misfits shirt, which is a punk band. Uh, but maybe they don't know that the Misfits are a punk band. They just know that they like the skull and they like the um, the style of the shirt. But now the shirt's kind of lost its original meaning because the original meaning was the band. And the band was a punk band and the band signified uh, rebelling youth. And uh, actually the Misfits weren't all that bright. I think they just uh, symbolized getting wasted and, and pu- uh, puking on yourself. But... The point is the the reference, the symbol lost its meaning by the time Hot Topic had opened. And I do feel like we're in a culture today where it the, there is no reference. Like um I would I would argue that um we live in a uh, we're we're in the second great crisis of of American consciousness. I think the first time we were severely disillusioned with our government was with um Nixon, right? And Watergate. And that was the first time I think Americans were like, wait, what? What the fuck did our president do? No. <laughs> um, and now with Donald Trump, it's uh, it's so bizarro, especially with what's happening with these FBI, FBI investigations and, and sessions and all this stuff. So interesting times to live in. Um, and that's on a political thing. But let's talk about you and let's talk about the big picture and what this kind of means. And I I get back to this idea that reality is not as you see, right? Like the Lily Allen song I played at the beginning. It's not, <laughs> it's not as it seems. And and I think, and I don't say that as a bummer. Everything I say that sounds horrifically bummerish um, when I tell you you're going to die one day and that your life is meaningless. And uh, I don't say that to bum you out. Believe it or not, I do not. I say that because it should be liberating. I feel as though these truths, these things that I see to be true are the grand liberators of your existence. The things that you think are so fucking significant and so real, these things that hold you down and hold you back and and stop you from trying the things you want to do in your life are not real. (laughs) Um, The construct of being a, a woman, of being a man, of being... Um, whatever color, race, gender, whatever you are, whatever you think is stopping you uh, from from doing the things you want to are all fucking bullshit constructs, in case you don't know. Did you get the memo? Did anyone teach you that in school? Of course they fucking didn't. No, because they don't want you to to know the truth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just don't think they, how do you, t- how do you blow somebody's uh, mind? That's, they don't, they don't have mind blowing class unless you take philosophy in college. But, um, but yeah, I got to thinking it. And now, by the way, the Bowery, um, CBGB's is no longer, and I, I'm not even sure what replaced it. Maybe it's a hot topic store, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, there is no real. We are we are in a simulation. We are in a matrix. And I and what I mean by that, I'm not saying that to be horribly cynical. I'm saying that um, it's all it's all manipulatable, believe it or not. And and you're not beholden to a destiny. Um, you're not beholden to the past, to the things that have led up to today, believe it or not. And how do you get out of the matrix? How do you get out of this fucking, the hyper real that we are in right now? (laughs) Well, because you use your mind, right? Because if uh, that's how they freed Neo from the pod is that we unplugged 
we unplugged him. They unplugged him, uh, Morpheus and the gang. They unplugged Neo. They literally unplugged him from his surroundings, his mind, and they freed his mind, right? It's a great metaphor. If you haven't seen the Matrix movies, get your life and watch them because there's... Uh, it's an it's really an ode to Jean Baudrillard. In fact, they have a direct reference to Jean Baudrillard in the first film when Neo answers the door. Uh, but that's another boring story that I will not fucking regale you with. But uh, your mind, your mind is the one thing that uh, will try to be controlled by the fucking horse shit around you, um, by the television, by Twitter, by. Instagram, by whatever, advertising, all this fucking nonsense, all the stuff that means and and signifies nothing. And then also your very existence, which is really finite and really small. And you're not here for that long. So, you know, I understand that existence is fraught with um, anxiety and worry and fuck and, and bills and, um, and and bad decisions and all, all that stuff. But you have to remember, and I think this thought helps me when I get really locked into stuff, uh, is that it's all it's all just ridiculous and you're all we're all gonna die. So it's like don't even get fucking hung up, bros. And there's a way out, and the way out is your brain, and the way out is your thinking, and the way out is you how you, you use your mind and how you control your mind instead of letting your mind control you. Uh I think that's the fucking the big story here. Okay. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Okay, so I've been getting a lot of advice, questions about career. It seems to be a trend with you guys. And I I think it's interesting how we all as humans go through this thing. And I I imagine it's because 2018 is coming and um, it's time to think about what you're going to do next. What's the next move? I've been getting a lot of love and career stuff. So I, I think... Well, let's start with uh, career stuff because it's all linked together. I don't, at least in my life, I've, you know, <laughs> I've seen people say things like, well, I can't date right now because I'm, I'm focused on my career or I can't, I can't get into a relationship because I'm working too much, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I understand that. Like you got to focus on your stuff, but I mean, how many waking hours do you have? Let's see. Let's do the math. Oh crap. I didn't, uh. I'm not a math major, guys. But there's 24 hours in a day, right? Okay, 24, and then you sleep. Let's say you slept eight hours. That's 16 hours in a day left over. And don't fucking tell me that you're working on your career or whatever it is, whatever horse shit you're doing for 16 hours. Because you need love. You need to have friendship and friends and love and some kind of life outside of your job. Otherwise, this life is fucking a horrible nightmare, right? Okay. And then career. Okay, well, we'll start with this email because I, I really like this idea. Um, I don't know. I think this is a good place to start. 
It says, Dear Mommy, I just turned 33 years old and I'm finally getting my life. Although I've always managed to keep it together on paper, I spent my 20s jumping around from job to job, dating the wrong people, drinking too much, and generally just not getting my life. Unfortunately, I let that linger a bit into my 20s too. Thanks to a bunch of self-help therapy and podcasts like yours, I've been spending the last year making the changes I need to live the life I know I'm meant to. I ended a three-year relationship after finally being honest with myself about wanting to leave the possibility of kids open. The person I was seeing who I thought I was going to marry was a hard no on that one. I quit drinking, took care of some health issues, am getting out of debt, and finally losing weight that I gained during my last relationship that made me feel ugly and unlovable. I have a good job in the corporate world, but I don't find it particularly fulfilling. So once I'm out of debt, I want to start my own business, something in the health wellness realm, since that is where my passion is. I feel like I need to lose another 40 to 50 pounds in order to be taken seriously in this field. So there is a timeline involved here. At the same time, my mommy clock is ticking and being single at this point in my life is freaking me out. I feel like I need to spend all of my time and energy looking for a good mate in order to get my maternal timeline back on track and worry about the career stuff later. That being said, dating in my 30s sounds like a fucking nightmare and I kind of just want to say screw it and forget the whole kid thing and just try to create the best life for myself as a party of one, knowing that the relationship family thing will fall into place once I am happy and in a good place. Okay. She writes in parentheses, I mentioned that I wanted to keep the possibility of becoming a mom open, but I don't feel like it's something I absolutely have to do, at least not as of this writing. Do you have any advice for if and how I can get several areas of my life at once. I wake up every morning just paralyzed, not knowing where to focus my energy. I feel like I have so much ambition and yet no direction. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that's a, a good place to start this email because I I, th- I think the, the thinking has, as I just mentioned prior to reading this email, is like, well, if I'm working on my career, I, I can't work on love. I have to do one or the other. I have to be exclusively all in on this identity as a career woman or all, all on this identity as a woman looking for a mate and looking for, um, you know, someone to settle down with and have a baby with. And, um, and, and I think, um, that type of thinking is really, really, really uh, limiting and, and it keeps you closed off. Right. Cause I think I've had the same fears before with motherhood. Like, well, if I, if I become a mom, then I can't focus on, this one area to my career and then I can't do everything at once. And then how's the holla, 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 holla. And what I found is that when you've got a lot of plates spinning is that, um, not all the plates spin at the same rate, right? So sometimes a career takes precedence and the mom stuff, um, you figure out a way to get done, but it's not going to be at the forefront for like a week or whatever. I don't know, just for me. Um, and vice versa. Sometimes your love plate is the one that you need to be holding up. And sometimes it's a career plate. And sometimes it's the, the mom plate. And sometimes, sometimes it's your dog plate, man. You got to pet your dogs. So you've got these different little baskets in life. And I think it's like, you know, they all should carry somewhat equal weight. Although at times, like I said, you'll have to lean into one or more. And I think we have a really hard time... Um, like accepting that as humans that we we can do we can be one or more identities or one or more things um joey diaz was just on your mom's house and he was he he 
when I was pregnant with Ellis was saying things like, um, you know, don't become a woman, Christine. He's saying to me, I hope you don't become a woman. And I, I asked him what he meant by that. Cause I was thinking about like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, and uh, I think he had assumed, I think his assumption was that once I became a mother, that the rest of my personality would take a back seat or, or be erased by having a child, right? That suddenly I'd become a mother and this mother mist would wash over me and, and I suddenly uh, wouldn't listen to Howard Stern anymore. Or I wouldn't like, uh, you know, punk music or do podcasts or talk about the horrendous things on stage that I do because the, I, and I understand that thinking because I think I felt that way too in the beginning. Like, how can I be this person here, but then be this person here? And, and, and that's just how identities work, right? You, you assume more uh, roles and you just kind of slip in and out of them at different points of the day. And I think that's supposed to be healthy. I think that's what my shrink says is a good way of living. Um, because I, I remember when I was just a comedian and that was my primary identity, it was really depressing, honestly. It get, you know, when you're all work uh, or you're all one thing, I think that's when we get out of balance. That's why, you know, you would hear things in the 1950s of housewives um, taking pills to get through the day because it's really, really hard to do one thing all fucking day long. Um, so I like uh, this emailer is that she's got this, she's got the thinking right of like, Hey, there's these different facets. Um, now how do I, what do I do every day? Do I work on the dating? Do I work on the career? Do I work? What do I do first? How do I order my life so that it, it ends up optimally perfect? Um, that I can't, I don't know. I don't think there is a way to, uh, to order everything perfectly because quite honestly, I mean, there is some element of like, not magic, but of like readiness for things and then things coming or you being able to recognize things, I would say at the time. So, well, I've told this before to to women listening to this show who are concerned about their biological clocks and now you're only 33 years old. That's great news. So in the fertility world, from what I've learned going through uh, fertility stuff with my son is that they don't start reading you the riot act until you're 35 yeah, 35 is the death knell for your ovaries. If you go talk to any kind of fucking fertility specialist, oh, wait until you're over 35 and you start going to the fertility doctors. Boy, will you feel like a fuck up. You thought dropping acid at 15 was what's killing you? No, no, it's the coffee. I found out it's the coffee, the caffeine I was drinking uh, that will screw up my egg quality. It's it's the cigarettes I smoked from the time I was 13 to 30 that did, did more damage to my ovaries than anything else. So just so you know, you're 33 years old. That's actually really good in your fertility life, blah, blah, blah. The panic begins around 35, okay? So that being said, here's some practical wisdom that I have accumulated and I kind of wish I would have done, but I was not thinking as forward as you are at your age, go freeze your eggs. You have a good job. Uh, it sounds like you can afford it. Go to the doctor, go to the fertility doctor, go, um, freeze your fucking eggs because they're not going to get, they're not getting any better. <laughs> um, and this not is not to scare any women listening. Um, I'm just saying it gets a lot more difficult the older you get. By the time you're 40, the egg quality is diminished greatly. And now you're really kind of looking down the barrel of like, oh shit, we got to go. So 
In your 30s is when you can still be banking your eggs. 38, yes. 39, yes. For some reason, 40 is the wall. 40 is when they really read you the right act. Forget it. <laughs> now, do I say that jokingly? Yes. This is not to panic, put any uh, panic in anybody's heart that's currently in a fertility thing. I'm just telling you how the doctors make me feel. Um, now, that being said, I've had friends that have conceived naturally at 40, 41. I have a friend who just had a baby naturally at 41, and they told her it was not possible. You've got a 5% chance of having a baby at 41, and she didn't. So whatever. They don't know everything. Uh, but invest the time and the money there, I would say, first. So that way you buy yourself a lot more time, and you won't have the sense of biological um, imperative of doom looming over you and informing your decisions because God knows uh, the best way to make decisions is when you're full of fear, right? And anxiety. No, of course not. Of course not. You want to make decisions in a calm, relaxed place, a place where, you know, hey man, I don't have to marry this guy. I got eggs on ice, bro. I don't need you. I don't need your sperm. Um, so yeah, go do that. Go spend the money. It's not painful. They inject you full of a bunch of, of hormones. Uh, they put you out for, I don't know, 15 minutes, and that's it. Now you got some eggs on ice, and now you can free yourself up from all that. Uh, so do that first, yeah. Get get the biological, get the urgent stuff out of the way, and now you're free. Now, I also believe, I'm of the belief that it's all intertwined, career, money, love, um, physical health, all that stuff, I, I don't believe, I don't buy that, that they're separate spheres of your life. And um, I mean, I <laughs> I don't know many people who have like amazing love life, amazing uh, body, but the career is just down the toilet, entirely down the toilet. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a temporary blip, but generally when people get their lives, it kind of goes across the board, you know? Um. Uh, because once you value yourself and you, your mind is right, you know, then your money, your finances tend to get right because you, like this girl says, I got myself out of debt. You start to go, Oh, I don't need to have credit card debt. I don't need to do this. Um, and you start to get your value of who you are and what you want to do and all that stuff. So you can get your areas together. (laughs) Okay. You're saying you're paralyzed about not knowing where to focus your energy. Here's a trick I learned, um, back when I was getting my career going, I think you have to go where the inspiration takes you, uh, every morning, wake up and feel and go, what do I feel like getting into? Right. Cause if there's no like panic about it, it's like, okay, well, um, cause in my business, right. There's different things I can do on one day. There's just business emailing on the next day. There's scheduling on the next day. There's actual financial financial stuff to get into. And some days there's no way I'm going to do financial stuff. Some days there's no way I can even fucking talk to people. So you pick your days. There's there's things come in cycles and waves, right? So maybe today is a love life day. And I don't know how you kids are meeting your mates. I hear it's online. Uh, maybe this is the day you work on your profile. When you're feeling fantastic, when you're feeling like shit's working out. Don't force it, right? That's the fucking worst. When you have to force yourself to do something, ugh, never turns out great when you're forcing it. Now, that being said, um, I do believe in forcing yourself a little bit. Like, there's just the thing of, 
um, motivation and being self-motivated and you always have to do something. So why not pick the thing uh, that's going to get you further along? Hmm. But I'm glad you got your life together. That's a good thing. And I wouldn't panic about finding somebody later in life. 33 is not that fucking old. It's just not. And, and I, I got married at 32, which was, you know, ancient. I had my first baby, first baby, my only baby, 38. So, <laughs> no, 39. I had him at 39. Um, don't stress. Don't worry so much about the numbers. By the way, everybody's getting married later. Everybody's having babies later and doing all this stuff later. Uh, I don't know where you live, but I know some places in the United States that that sounds like old maid land. It's not. It's really not. 33 is, and so what? Even if you're 53, 63, I think we put so much emphasis on um, on age. Like, oh, you should have this together. You should be a millionaire by the time you're 30 or whatever the fuck. Like, dude, <sighs> shit ain't going to happen that way. Okay. Um, this was an interesting one. This is, um, hi mommy. Uh, a year ago, I decided to leave my husband of seven years for another man. My marriage just wasn't what I wanted it to be. He was a good person, but I just wasn't and could never be in love with him. I got married at 20 and filed for divorce right after my 28th birthday. Did you hear that little, little, um, beautiful guppies? Did you hear that I got married at 20 and filed for divorce right after my 20th birthday? Let me tell you, writer of this email, that that is not um, an unfamiliar theme. That's why I think people like me do these shows because that's why we, we yell at you guys. Like, do not fucking get married at 20. Do not get married at 20. Don't have babies at 20. Wait until you're 32, 33. Um, now, that being said, I know people who met at 15 and who ended up being together forever that is rare. That is the anomaly. Okay. Most of us are immature douchebags at 20. And I've seen people like the, the identical thing happen. Married at 20, divorced at 28. Okay. But anyway, you're right. I've been living with my current boyfriend for a year. I truly love him and always will. He was my high school sweetheart. I struggle with bringing issues from work home. And projecting them onto the relationship. I have so many doubts and insecurities about what I want out of my life. I currently am in hate with my job. I hate it, she writes in all caps. I've been teaching for six years and have come to the conclusion that I just may not be equipped to work with kids. I lack the patience and the frustration bleeds into my relationship. I don't know what else I could possibly do to make money with a music education degree. I do not want to continue jeopardizing the relationship I've always wanted just because my job makes me fucking miserable. I've spent thousands on a therapist who fucking sucked and I'm just afraid that looking for another one is going to be another money pit. I feel so insecure about my job and my relationship hmm, that I'm finding it harder and harder to wake up every morning. I always want to be the best at what I do. I want to be the best teacher, the best friend, the best partner in a relationship and constantly find my cup running dry. Help. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Now, remember what I said about love and career being all connected? It's all connected, right? If it's awesome in one location, it can fall the fuck apart somewhere else. Something's wrong. There's a disconnect. Mm-hmm-hmm. So it sounds like you found somebody that's good for you. You're happy. And now you're seeing other areas in your life 
that could be improved to be happier, right? Like, oh, I could be fucking just as happy in my job. Only I could be as happy in my job as I am at home with this dude who I really like. And that's a good thing. So, okay. (laughs) You may not be equipped to work with kids. Who is? That is such a tough job. My goodness. I have so much admiration for anybody that works with children all day and then comes home to their own children. Holy cow. That's fucking unbelievable. Some people are just wired for it, you know? Like, I got a cousin that just loves teaching little kids. I I I love kids. It's not that. I think I would just be ground down, dude. Just like, because they they require so much attention, you know? Fuck, I'm ground down talking to grownups every day. Fucking nightmare. All right. Um, Okay, so you've got a degree in music education. And you don't want to continue. Okay. You you basically don't want to take the poison home. Hold on. I have to take the sweatshirt off. I'm too fucking hot. I decided to wear a sweatshirt because my husband keeps it like a meat locker in here. But now, of course, I'm sweating my tits off. Uh, Okay. Okay. I'm back. Yeah, you don't want to be miserable, right? Um, It's interesting because I think that 90% maybe more 95% of the world uh just lives in misery and low grade suffering in um like a lot of people would probably just accept that they hate their shitty job and they'll go home and then they would take it out on their spouse and then they would get a divorce and then blame the spouse for their unhappiness um and then go have an affair and then you know blow up that family and then <laughs> five years later, go have another affair because they're bored or whatever the fuck it is. And this is the cycle of, um, total typical American destruction bullshit. Right. So I think the career stuff is always, it's always tricky. There's no one teaches you how to find a good career for yourself. Right. (laughs) And I remember like (laughs) career day in high school. Uh, that was a fucking joke. They sent me to the mall. They were like, you, you, you want to talk to the manager of the Topanga mall? I was like, no, dude, I want, I don't want to work in a mall. I already work at a mall. I worked at, I worked at some retail shop that I would play goth music in. Like, I do, I don't want to fucking work in a mall. But anyway, the point is nobody tells you how to find something you like. And unfortunately, you know, you got this music education degree thinking that you probably would get to play music and that would be cool. And teaching people to play music is fucking cool because it is. But what you didn't count on is the probably the emotional toll that working with children takes. It's, it takes a very, you know, specific personality to deal with that. So what can you do? What can anybody do who's listening, who doesn't know what they want to be when they grow up? Um, I, I just feel like society does not prepare you uh, for that whatsoever. It's just get a job. And you're like, yeah, but what kind of job? Just one that pays well, get good benefits. And that personally to me is like the wrongest way of thinking, meaning, uh, okay, you're looking for a path in life. I'm not talking about jobs. Jobs are, you know, um, the retail store, unless you're a manager and you really want to be like a manager, unless you want to start your own, whatever thing. I'm talking about careers, lifelong career, not a fucking just a J-O-B, but your career, your overarching thing. And I think why so many people are so miserable in their work life, it's because they don't know themselves. 
Um, and you, when you don't know yourself, you don't know what you're down for, what you won't do, what you're good at. You don't know what your personality type is and what's a good match for you. And it sounds to me like that might be going on here. I mean, you just had a major thing happen. You you divorced at 28. You just left your husband of seven years for another man. Like you're in upheaval, dude. You're in a major life change. And guess what? 28 uh, is the year when our brains mature and we become adults. It's not fucking 18. 18, you're still a teenager, okay? 18, you just left the house, theoretically. And, you know, your your brain is still a child's brain. So 28 is the magic number, I think, for women anyways. Uh, when your life kind of comes together and you really start to know who you are. And I think it's also really messed up that they make kids to, like pick a major at 18. It's preposterous. <laughs> I remember um, starting college and and going into college and them asking me what my major was. What, what are you going to major in? What are you going to study? What are you going to be? Who are you at 18? You don't know who you want to be yet? You don't want, wait, you don't know who you want to be at 40 when you're 18? Go, oh, maybe because you have no fucking life experience. You've never even paid a credit card bill or paid rent on an apartment before, but you're supposed to know who you're going to be for the rest of your life by the time you're out of high school. It's so much pressure. It is so much pressure. And this is what happens. And then you go pick a major that sounds kind of cool and you get into that field and you spend a shit ton of money getting a degree and you realize like, oh, this fucking, this fucking sucks. Like I, I can't do this. And now comes the guilt because you folks have spent money on this degree or maybe you have, and now you're in debt, blah, blah, blah. So there's guilt and shame. Um, and this is not to knock college. This is absolutely... Uh, the opposite. I think every degree is useful, even philosophy, even literature, even music education, all these things. No one tells you this part, guys, about the real world, but you don't have to major in what your career is. What? Yeah. Surprise. Now, the wonderful thing about the the, the landscape of 2018 or whatever is that uh, you know, it's not as linear as it was in 1950 or whatever, 60, when you graduated and you have to have a degree in the thing. Then blah, 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 blah. You could go work as a corporate uh, human resources strategist, uh, fucking retreat specialist where you use music to educate um, corporate workers on how to relate to their clients better. You can create a program where you use music to teach ba 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 to ba 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 whatever fill in the blanks here's the thing you're not limited by the shit you studied in college right i mean you know how many people i apply, i had 22 jobs in 4 years i was a paralegal a corporate paralegal an immigration paralegal i was um a legal secretary i was an executive assistant in um multiple production companies and show business uh, what else did I fucking do? I was a cocktail waitress a few times over, or, uh, a fancy dining waitress once at a French restaurant. All of these jobs, they all laughed at me when I said I had a philosophy degree, but you know what I did? I fucking made something up like, uh, well, you know, I, yeah, it's not practically applicable, but I can read and understand anything I read. I, I'm a thinker. I can figure things out. That's what my degree is. And I would explain to people, it's not about understanding Voltaire. It's about thinking and the ability to think clearly and the ability to have common fucking sense and the ability to follow instructions. 
Okay. So you need to find the the thing that uh, 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 the thread that you can translate this degree into the next thing is what I'm saying. You have to be creative a little bit here. Okay. So you're going, yes, but Christina, I don't know what the fuck I want to be. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Here's how you find it. Here's how I found it. I don't know. You don't know who you are because you're only 28. Right about now is when you're starting to figure your life out. You just divorced somebody. So you're, you're figuring it out right now. And anybody listening, if you're even 38, 40, who fucking cares? Like you don't know who you are and that's why you can't find the job that's right for you. You hear me? You need to know who you are. Well, how do I find that out? Okay. Well, number one, there's a million fucking books out there on career stuff. Um, what color is your parachute? It's a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? Written in what, 1980 or some crap. Still applicable to this day. Go pick that book up or download it or whatever. Read that book. There's personality tests you can take online for free. There's a test called the Myers-Briggs Personality Test. M-E-Y-E-R-S hyphen B-R-I-G-G-S. Now, what does this test do? What does it mean? It tells you what your personality is and what types of jobs your personality is best suited for. And it's based on things like introversion, extroversion. Um, Are you a thinker? Are you a feeler? Are you a perceiver? Are you, you know, whatever the fuck it is. So find out your, your personality type. First of all, if you're not clear on who you are, go find it out. Uh, Read books, ask people what they do for a living. Go find the person whose life thinks looks amazing and ask them, what do you do every day? What the fuck do you do? Have them explain it to you. There's also a book um, that came out in the 90s called Gig, G-I-G Gig. It's a huge yellow book. Um, And I bought it when I graduated from college. And it's basically a description of every job at the time in the 90s. I don't know if they've updated it. Excuse me. Um. And it's an, there's a series of essays of everything from um, people who clean up crime scenes to comedians. There was a comedian chapter in there and it was pretty fucking spot on. <laughs> um, you know, accountant, librarian, you name it. There are these essays written by people who do that very job. So um, find another job. You know, and I know it seems really hard Uh, to me in a weird way. The career stuff for me was like the hardest thing to decide on because I spent four years like really flailing before I locked in on comedy, but also simultaneously the easiest thing that I ever decided on. And once I dropped my parental expectations, you know, once I dropped the guilt, once I dropped, um, once I really knew that I was going to disappoint the shit out of my family and that I would never get my mother's approval as a comedian, um, that was really liberating, right? Because I think, you know, I went to law school for two weeks. I dropped out. I went to grad school for philosophy after a semester, dropped out. I tried all the things I was supposed to do and I was miserable, just miserable in every one of the things I thought I was supposed to be. Um, and it may turn out, my little uh, guppy, that you're not going to do anything related to music. Maybe that was just a space and time, a thing in your younger life that you thought you were interested in, and now you like something else. So what do you like? That's like number one. What do you fucking, what What do you enjoy doing the most? Because I've mentioned this on the last episode of like, 
just pick what you're passionate about. Like that, you know, on the one hand, yeah, that's true. You, you must have an underlying love for the thing you're doing, but it's also a, a personality match to the thing you're doing. Okay. If you're an introvert, guess what? You're not going to like working with kids. Uh, and who's, what's an introvert? Someone that doesn't like talking to people all day long. Okay. If you're an introvert, you're not going to like sales. Surprise. Um, if you're an introvert, you might like being a librarian. Introverts like books, numbers, maybe, uh, whatever job, computer stuff. Maybe that's the, the gig for you, being an editor. If you're an extrovert, go for the sales gigs. Go for uh, you know real estate, whatever the fuck it is. So figure out if you like people or if you don't like people. So simple as that. Are you an intellectual? Um, do you have the tolerance to do tedious work like, you know, editing things or looking at numbers or legal work or whatever? Then fucking do that. And you'll find very quickly if that's a, a right match for you. And the beauty of you being only 28 is that who gives a shit? You don't want to do it? Fucking do something else. You don't got kids. You don't got a mortgage. That's why I encourage um, young people in their 20s, try everything out. Who cares? Go work for a week somewhere. If you don't like it, quit. Big fucking deal. <laughs> I don't know what, and don't take it so seriously until you find the thing you really like. And then, you know, keep, uh, keep doing it. So quit your fucking job. Now, does that mean just go in tomorrow, quit your job? No, I'm saying you're at the holidays now. Things are probably going to slow down. I'm guessing you're going to get some kind of a break because you work with kids. Well, maybe spend the holidays where you're going to go visit friends and family, asking people who you like, who you think have a good life what it is they do for a living and how they got to do that thing. And then that might point you in the direction and go read these books I'm talking about. Take your Myers-Briggs test. Go find these personality analysis books. They're really, they really helped me. Um, it's so funny over and over and over. It's so funny because over and over, I through all these 22 jobs and through all this shit that I did, going to law school, doing it, you know what I did the whole time? Stand up. <laughs> I would still do stand-up through all these things. I started it and I could not stop it. You know how long I've gone without doing stand-up in my, since I started? One month after I gave birth to my son. And then one time I was in Europe for a month and I couldn't do it. One month since I was 26 years old. That's the longest break I've taken for stand-up comedy. And it was clear as day, right? The whole time it was clear as day that that's the thing I wanted to do because I kept going back. I kept going back. It was the one thing. But I didn't want it. I didn't want to admit to myself that I, I was going to choose this horribly hard road and I, didn't, I was going to disappoint my family and uh, go into this ridiculously unlikely career, right? Because it's, uh, it's not, there's no certainty. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I hope that helps. And I'm sorry you're miserable in your job because really there is just nothing worse than hating your day job, right? My goodness. I remember those days. Oh God. I remember those days. I think the one thing I like best about being a comedian is other comedians. I, I fucking hate, like I just remember hating my coworkers the most Like when I go to these jobs, man, even like, you know, there's always like a handful of cool people, but then there's always that guy or girl who's just like a black cloud. Like that, that person who's so enmeshed in the matrix that like everything about the office politics, like they're all up on that shit. And 
they're always bummed out and they're always telling you about what they're bummed out about and nothing's ever going to get better. And they've just totally surrendered to a life of low grade suffering and misery. And like, I just, so many people are plugged into that, man. I'm telling you, they're all in their fucking pods and they all think they're eating steak and they're not. And, uh, it's very hard to overcome, uh, that group think, that matrix thinking, that suffering thinking that, you know, I just got to do this, right? This is what everyone, isn't, isn't everybody miserable all the time? Isn't that the life we've all surrendered to? Isn't that how it's supposed to go? I'm just supposed to collect a paycheck and die. Oof, it's fucking bleak. That's why you have to be creative. You just got to fucking finesse it, figure it out. There's, there's something to do with that degree. There's something to be done. Oh, and then, uh, yeah. Just try it. Just try. Just fucking try. Get out of your comfort zone and try. That's all you can do. Okay. Uh, one last email. This one, it's a kind of a longie. I'm going to paraphrase it. I think it was very sweet. It was very sweet. Um, this boy wrote in. Oh, boy. I don't want to say people's names anymore because I'm just not sure <laughs> who wants to be outed on the show. Okay, so this gentleman, a young 28 years old, again, the magic number, um, writes in and he's got his life on a fleek. His health is good. His job is good. Uh, He says he's woefully inexperienced in the realm of falling in love, which is where I seem to find myself presently. He's so cute. Look how he writes. He writes, the object of my affection is an old friend who I have seen on and off since my college days. When we first met around seven years ago, there was a distinct connection and um, that sprung up between us. However, at the time I was young and dumb and let the opportunity slip away. So he goes on and on. He's very sweet. He's very sweet. Um, and he writes, he, he wants to make a move on her, but here's his concerns. Number one, she's got her life big time. She has a rock solid career and is a fully self-reliant and while gener- and, and is fully self-reliant and while generally a lot more experienced with relationships than me, She seems to be deliberately enjoying her independence and freedom. And as I have gathered from our mutual friends, this is likely in direct response to some of her past romances being very underwhelming for her to say the least. Number two, having dropped the ball in the past with her, I wouldn't be surprised if she felt a smidge of resentment or at least caution towards me. And three, being so inexperienced and yet still so eager for something to happen between us. I feel sort of trapped between what I don't know and what I want. Okay. And she also travels a lot. Uh, for her business. Uh, okay. He's like, seems like if it's meant to happen, or, or we would eventually be together. I'm terrified of wasting another opportunity of, she basically, what the fuck do I do is what he's asking, right? Okay. It's so cute. It's such a cute email. It's so funny how, um, what is it? Freud said that, Neuroses can be, intelligence can be served. Uh, intelligence, basically, the smarter you are, you can use that intelligence to feed your neuroses. <laughs> you can be smart. Uh, and you know, you can also be so fucking smart that it, you feed your own fear thoughts. You know, you're, oh, and he's writing also in the hashtag Me Too area, which I support. It's never seemed a good idea to be daring with women. Okay. First of all, the, I know I've been hearing this a lot from my male friends in the hashtag Me Too era. Like right now, guys are like, well, wait, I don't understand. How am I supposed to come on to a woman if, um, you know, everything can be construed as uh, harassment, you know? I, and, and I understand it's a very valid concern. And, and I'm telling you, it's only the guys who are sweet, 
we even bring this shit up. It's not the douchebags who are like, wait, how am I supposed to talk to women now? It's always the assholes um, who aren't asking. So the fact that you're even asking or bringing it up means you're very sweet. Um, um, fuck. My point being that I think in our culture, men in general and the masculinity shit, you guys are taught to be the hunter, right? You're, you're supposed to be the aggressor, quote, aggressor in these um, in male-female heterosexual relationships, blah, blah, blah. So there is that pressure to be like the man and come on to a girl. That being said, I had a guy uh, force a kiss on me in college and it was clearly non-consensual, right? It wasn't something I had invited. So I felt, I felt both uh, scenarios of like, I wanted invited, you know, tiny come on, whatever, uh, versus a guy who I had no intention or ever desire to kiss. Uh, by the way, I just threw him off of me and told him to go fuck himself. Like very simple. But, uh, so yeah, there's definitely a difference between, I was explaining this to my husband today because we we're talking about this at breakfast. Like how do, so what's the difference? You know, he's like, I don't understand. I'm like, well, look, as a woman and as a man, you know, it feels aggressive and what feels timely and what feels appropriate and what doesn't. Um, right. Like I'm trying to think, I haven't kissed a strange man in 12 years since I've been with my husband. So the first time, you know, Tom and I kissed, I I know it was a welcomed exchange. And because he felt that I was receptive to, to that stuff. Right. Um, and like I said, I've had the opposite experience where I gave zero signals that I was interested in, (laughs) Uh, being physically close to this person and, you know, he laid one on me. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, I had my druthers and I just pushed him off of me and told him to go fuck himself. But, um, but yeah, there's a, you know the difference and I, and I think you can tell the difference. So anyways, I asked my husband um, how you know a girl likes you and when you should talk to her. And he said that you just know that you just feel it, that if somebody's interested in you, there's some kind of rapport, there's some kind of a connection, there's some kind of thing going on. And, and that's when you pursue. Now, you know, there's a difference between hashtag me too pursue and, (laughs) and do you want to go out for dinner? And I think we overthink these things. And I think that it's, yes, I know this climate is a little scary for, for guys asking girls out. Yes. Yes. But I don't think you, it doesn't sound like you're an aggressive dude. I, I don't know you personally, but you seem very, uh, conscientious and I think you should just ask her the fuck out. Just ask her out. You're overthinking this entirely too much. Ask her out and take her out to fucking dinner like a gentleman. You know why? That's how you show her you like her. And especially in this day and age when I hear that all you kids do is fucking text each other and then what, go for coffee? Maybe? God damn it, buy the lady a meal. As successful as she is, she will appreciate a free meal. And you like her, so why not share a meal with somebody you like? Um, And I would suggest at dinner telling her, hey, I, I think I fuck things up with you. And I just want you to know I... I really like you and I hope you're not, I hope you're not mad at me and tell her the truth. Hey, I fucked up. I think I let you go. I think I screwed that up. Um, not in like a creepy way. I mean, look, look, as a comedian, as a comedian, I don't like feelings. I don't like dealing with feelings. And I found that humor 
is the best way to diffuse any situation, any ookiness, especially look, I'm, I'm a master at dodging emotional conversations. I've been doing it my whole life. Here's how you do it. You just uh, casually bring it up over the, the give her, give her a glass of wine. Okay. First of all, you got to drink, you got, you got to lubricate the, the senses, right? You got to get her not drunk, but just happy. One, one glass is great. Two is the max. Okay. We're going to follow Patty Stanger's millionaire matchmaker rules Two max. And somewhere in between, um, you know, maybe you're, I don't get her when she's chewing. That's the worst. That's the only bad part about the dinner date. Anyway, somewhere along when you're not chewing a mouthful of food, tell her how great she is and how, how, uh, amazed you are at how accomplished a person she ha- she's become and, uh, and how you hope you didn't hurt her feelings in the past. Hey, I, you, you're pretty, oh, look at you. You're, look at you, girl. That's how I would do it. I'd be like, do you fucking look how you got your life? You doing your shit? Stuff like that. I'm like, did I fucking, God, like, you're just so amazed. I hope I, uh, did I blow it with you before? <laughs> Ask her, did I blow it with you before? And see what she says. If she is like, I don't know. If she, I don't know her. I mean, she might be honest and be like, well, yeah, kind of. And then be like, great. What can I do to make it up to you? What can I do? And listen to that. If she goes, you know what? I'm just not into dating. Then you have your answer. You got to throw out the hooks, right? The open-ended questions. Did I screw up things between us? See how she responds. I want to make it up to you. Let me make it up to you. What can I do to make it up to you? And if she's like, no, no, I don't want you to make it up to me. Then you know, she's not interested and you can move on. But it is daunting to find out if somebody's interested in you. I know it's, uh, as I am not wired for it either. I think it's just, uh, it has to be devastating to be a guy and have to be the aggressor and constantly put yourself out there and like constantly be shot down. Ugh, it's gotta be so brutal. So, so, so brutal. But, uh, but anyways, what's really attractive is, uh, you know what the word charisma means of the spirit charisma to know oneself, to know oneself and to not be, uh, to not be a, 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 a timid little chicken. And honesty is really attractive, I think. I mean, shit, I don't know. Charisma goes a lot farther than looks sometimes. I mean, you know that. You've seen attractive people that are just fucking lumps, that are just boring losers. That's why ugly guys get laid, man. It's called charisma. So use it. Be brave. You can do it. And listen, is she the end of your existence? The end all be all? No. She's just a girl that you like. It's okay. Um, you know, I think we tend to build people up in our minds as like, this person's going to solve everything. And guess what? It doesn't. Nobody, no one thing is going to make or break your life. Certainly not a relationship, not a career, not a nothing. Not, not one thing is going to, you know, make everything okay. Because guess what? You could get the, the girl, you can get the job, you can get the money, and you can still fucking blow it. You're still going to blow it if your mind ain't right. If you're, if you're idolizing that thing, right? If you're looking to that thing to make you whole or whatever, that's when you blow it. That's when you fucking blow it big time because you're putting a lot of pressure on the situation. So don't, don't put so much pressure on it. And that's why God invented wine, my friend. That's what wine is all about. Take her to, here's the thing. Don't not, do not take her to a well-lit, loud place. You take this girl, you take her to like a French restaurant. 
okay? Dark, uh, 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 brown, a lot of brown, a lot of leather or whatever, a lot of uh, uh, like a nicer fucking French. I'm not talking like a million dollar, but just like maybe Italian. Italian's good, right? That's a nice middle of the road. You get a nice thing of wine. You share a bottle. You get your bread. Uh, you know, you get your pasta, whatever. It's dark candles. Yes, that's where you take her. That sets the right mood. And if she's totally like ooked out by being somewhere dark and, and intimate with you, you know, it's not good. Um, but if she's receptive, everything else will work. Trust me. Everything kind of falls in line. Don't worry about all this other shit. If you really like somebody, you'll figure it out. You will work it out. You will figure out a way to do it. Don't overthink it. You're thinking too far into the future. What if she does this? What if her, what if, what if, what if? It's all right. Don't worry. You, you think you, you don't know all the variables. Nobody can know. You just gotta fucking take a chance, bruh, bruh. Anyways, I sympathize because I, I would never ask people out. If I were a guy, I would just, um, I would just be alone. <laughs> I'd be a wag, a weird alone guy. I would just be on the internet. Ugh, I don't know how you guys do it. It's so fucking hard. Uh, all right, that's it. Um, hope you guys uh, like this episode. Thank you for downloading. Uh, email me, that's deeprobpodcast at gmail.com. That's deeprobpodcast at gmail.com. All right, um, have a great week, you guys. And until then, until I talk to you next time, that's been Deep Bro. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Yeah, it's Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sinking. John Locke. Or was it Socrates, Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's tea, bro It is the ultimate metaphor for life And you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro That's deep, bro That's deep, bro